And you're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We are going to have another clue for the quiz. It's 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 right there. It's right with you. Every time, Blair, we come in to do the the clue for the quiz, you're like scrambling. But it's it's always it's always right there, right, right, <laughs> right with you. It's okay. That's right. All right, here we go. Clue number. I'm not even sure what number we're up, we're to, up to. We're up to the the third one. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Fourth. No fourth. Fourth. fourth yeah. Here fourth we go. One. The men of this city accused Christians of causing trouble all over. The world. Its name begins with a T. Oh, so we're really okay. narrowing it down here. We're really trying to help you guys. The men of this correct. city accuse Christians of causing trouble all over the world, and the name of this city begins with a T. If you think you know the answer, you can text it through to zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and you can get your name in the draw to run win our revived cookbook this week. We've got a bunch of people who have gotten this correct, as well as some text messages in support of producer Shell. Margie writes in, Oh, poor Shell breaking a shoulder. Please give me her love and best wishes. Poor lady. God bless. And, you really put the voice on there. And we've got Janelle as well. Poor Shell praying for her. So, yeah, we, we, we're definitely feeling for Shell at the moment. But I have to say, like, tripping over a fence and breaking your shoulder, like... I, I don't know. In in terms of stories for reasons why you broke bones, like it could have been like on a bicycle crash or, you know, we could have fallen off a horse, but tripping over a fence, I might not let you live that day. You're throwing some shade. Yeah, I, I definitely am. It must have been a hardcore trip because like Shell is not a frail lady. She, she's a, she's a, she, wait, wait, wait. What is, what are, what are we talking about? I'm getting signals. That's how big the fence was. Okay, so we've just received some information that potentially makes the story more embarrassing for Shell, and uh, and as a result, I, I don't know if I should disclose that the that the that the fence was actually very very low to the ground. But um, you know, listen, listen, guys. Was it like a, ra- a little fence for rabbits or something? Potentially, but uh, listen, we still love Shell. We give her and the listeners give her their best. And again, like. It must have been a gnarly fall for her to break her shoulders. So good on you, Shell, and we uh, we give all props and 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 praise, and we just just want to see you get better as as well. Now you're listening to the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and we are continuing on with our Bible study this week. Yesterday, again, coming from Judgment, which was last week, we come into today's study, which is well, this week is titled "The Hour of His Judgment," getting into when it is that His judgment takes place. And this being a reference to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7 saying, you know, worship God because the hour of his judgment has come. And as Christians, again, we're looking at Revelation, a prophetic book. It's talking about this future hour of judgment. The question comes up, well, how does that work? What, what do I need to do? Where do, I, where do I need to be? And we are given information from the Bible prophetically about how it actually does take place, but rather in the book of Daniel. So we, we spent a little bit of time yesterday in the book of Daniel. We saw we looked at Daniel 8.14 specifically, and we saw that there's this Bible verse of Daniel 8.14. It talks about this prophecy of 2,300 days, at the end of which this little horn power would be judged, this antichrist power. And so what we're going to spend our time doing over the next you know, couple of days towards the end of the week is unpacking what exactly this means, who exactly this is and what exactly chapter eight in the book of Daniel is all about. 
So we could just go immediately to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 1 and start right there. Blair, if you can get that for us. Absolutely. God's word says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. Mm. Okay, so this is canonically, this is... Daniel's second vision. Now, some people say, oh, but what about, isn't this the third vision? Because you have Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8. Daniel 2 is Nebuchadnezzar's vision. That's right. It was a dream he received. That's that's right. And then uh, Daniel receives the dream as well. But it's more of just like a, hey, you know, this this is what happens. This is what it means. Whereas Daniel chapter 7 here is his first real vision that he receives as a prophet. Quite late into his life. And now he's receiving a second vision here. Uh, after, again, the first time that he had the vision. Now, we know that the Daniel chapter 7 vision, we have all the beasts and the, the little horn and the, the period of 1,260 days. And now we come to Daniel 8, and he receives a vision again. Now, can you read for us verse 2? I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the, cit- the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Yulai. Mm. Okay, so he ends up in this vision. He's in places that are actually familiar to uh, to Daniel. At this time, being one of the, the highest level advisories to the king, essentially a governor within the kingdom of Babylon. He would have gotten around a lot. You oh, were saying right. in your work, right, how much you get around the, the North New South Wales area because you have to cover that area and reaching out to young adults. Him being a governor of the empire of Babylon... He would be getting around all over the place. Now, Shushan would be, you know, this is a a spot in the Middle East that was also, you know, used, it says here the citadel. So we see, you know, a relatively big city and a tower there and was utilized by the Medo-Persians after them as well. I believe it's actually the spot where the story of Esther takes place. That she is a she's a Jewish captive in the area, or you know, a a Jewish uh, expat in the area of Shushan as as well. But in this vision, he sees Shushan, he sees the river Yulai, and he's seeing you know over the whole province of Elam, which is where the the Elamites come from, who have very you know traditional and and strong ties in the the biblical story. We see them warring with Israel and and warring you know, in, in, at different times. So we get this vision. We set this scene that Daniel is in this area and he's, he's, he's there and he's seeing it. And then after this unfolds some events before him that are definitely prophetic in nature. And I say that because they're kind of wild and a little bit wacky, but we need to remember whenever we're reading specifically Bible prophecy in the Bible, that these are symbols that are pointing to, to a greater meaning. So we then come to verse 3. Do you want to read verse 3 first? Absolutely. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. You are fantastic at reading the Bible, might I just add. Have you ever thought about doing audiobooks or something like that? <laughs> I haven't, but thank you. <laughs> audiobooks. I reckon you would, your voice would fit good as like, you should, you should do some Faith of M ads for us. You know, oh, you're now listening to da 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 Man, really, really king goals. Now, we get introduced to our first character here in this vision. We have, we know that he's in this area of the, the Shushan, the citadel, one of the capitals within the, the area of Babylon, the empire of Babylon. And he sees this, 
this this ram and it has two horns and one of those horns is higher than the other. Now, again, I, I've talked to some Christians from other denominations and they, they read a prophecy like this and they're like, man, what is going on with this ram? You know, they're like, oh, when are we going to, when are we going to see this ram come up? And they, they read uh, Revelation chapter 13 and they're like, oh, well, we got to watch out for that beast. You know, that beast is going to show up and get us all. And it's like, well, we're not really talking about actual rams here. We're not talking about actual beasts here, but rather symbols that point to things. Now, I'd love to ask you, Blair, when it comes to a ram here in in the Bible, what do you think that it is alluding to? Well, the good thing is we don't actually have to guess um, because mm-hmm. the Bible interprets itself. And this is one of the most, again, the one of the most fundamental, important principles of understanding the Bible. When you're trying to understand something that you're not sure about, let the Bible interpret itself. Mm-hmm. And so we're fortunate enough to have within this very chapter the explanation. And if you have a look in verse 20 of Daniel chapter 8, it says, The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Medea and Persia. And so the the ram is identified as the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Mm. This is consistent with, uh, in Daniel chapter 7, a beast representing a nation, mm-hmm. uh, as we, we learn specifically in Daniel chapter 7. And so here, this beast is representing the nation of Medo-Persia. And, um, and the characteristics that we see there link us into some of the, uh, the historical realities of Medo-Persia and how mm-hmm. it rose at the time. And, of course, parallels with the beast in Daniel chapter 7, uh, with the bear raised up on one yeah. side. Of course, this is consistent and in line with how Daniel chapter 7, you know, uh, explains these beasts as we read in verse 17 that these beasts are four kingdoms that arise out of the earth. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Contact us on 0491-064-669. So it's really amazing that then we've been given this hermeneutic for interpretation of this Bible prophecy. It's like, oh, well, he tells us straight up later in the prophecy that, oh, yeah, this is the kingdom of Medo-Persia. But why Medo-Persia is represented as a ram with two horns is because of the previous you know, tool for interpretation that's given to us in Daniel chapter 7, where he says in verse 17, again, beasts and animals within these Bible prophecies are equal to nations absolutely so then again it's amazing because then we don't have to guess we're just like okay this beast is a nation this nation is medo-persia it names it by name and yeah we can be quite sure then of who it is now daniel writing this at the time is in the third year of the reign of king belshazzar it would be within the next 10 years that uh, Medo-Persia would become the ruling empire of the world and would actually destroy Babylon. And their destruction would Bab- of Babylon would come out as a result of the conquest of Cyrus the Great. But at this time in which Daniel is is living under the, the, the reign of King Belshazzar of Babylon, they are, you know, looking over across you know, ac- across the across the plains at a Medo-Persia that is emerging at the time as a force to probably be worried about uh, as they are taking more and more land and, and territory and, you know, d- warring with the kingdoms of Lydia and Egypt as well. And so, again, now he's seeing this prophetically. He says, oh, this ram, it's going to come and it's going to be this this 
this great beast, this great nation that's going to, to rise up here. Yeah, just a, a comment as well on some of the characteristics here in these verses. I think they're just amazing, the amount mm. of detail that God shows us. And we see that the two horns representing the kings, mm. uh, horns representing kings, kings of Medo and Persia, uh, one of them comes up uh, higher, one's higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And of so this is, this is really amazing when you look at the history of Medo-Persia. Mm. Um, of course, uh, you have, um, uh, although there was Medo and Persia, although it arose later than Media, Persia became the dominant power um, mm. that rose up later. And so this parallels, of course, of, with Daniel chapter 7, with the bear that's raised up on one side. And if you remember, the bear has three ribs in its mouth. Um, if you read on here in verse 4, it says, I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could st- could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And so the, the parallel of the three, uh, the three ribs in the mouth here is the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, and overcoming the three regions. In order to overthrow Babylon, they had to overthrow um, Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon, and it had to push uh, westward, northward, and southward to do this geographically. Mm. So amazing detail and um, information that we're seeing here in the Bible about this power that would come. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I love that too when you talk about Persia rising up. There's, there's, there's quite a, an amazing story there. Media essentially, yeah, co- they become a coalition nation who to prop up Persia because Persia had very, you know, ambitious ideals on how they wanted to, yeah, rule this area and, and be one of the greatest empires. And they, they got that initial start from Persia, but then Persia becoming, yeah, that greater nation. And, and that's exactly what we see in history outlined in these symbols that the Bible gives. Now, Medo-Persia is there, it's existing, it's doing its thing, it's conquering, and it becomes really in in terms of the 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 known world at the time, the greatest empire existing. It it has power over other great nations and trade hubs and all of those kinds of things. At this time, you know, Greece is a divided nation of city city states. They're not uh, they're not united until a little bit, which we're we're going to talk about because the Bible actually outlines it. But uh, yeah, you've got Greece as you know city states like Athens and and Sparta and and whatnot. You've got over if you head more east into the the areas of 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 China and India. Again, there's this there's much division there because m- many of the world's nations at this time were city states. But you've got this great empire of Medo Persia. And then it follows here in the Bible with verse 5, and another power rises up to confront this great empire of Medo-Persia. If you want to read that for us, Blair. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Mm. Okay, so another a goat rises up here. What does a beast represent in the Bible? A nation. A nation, and it has a notable horn between its eyes. So we see, okay, this 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 great nation that then comes along, it has this notable horn. We actually see in Daniel chapter 7 that horns represent kings and kingdoms as well. So we have this, this nation. It has this great horn, which represents a great king. And then it decides to, to go to war with this other nation, if you want to read for us verse 6. Then he came to the ram that had it had two horns which i had been standing which i had seen standing beside the river 
and ran at him with furious power. Mm, absolutely. And and then verse 7, it says here, And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him. He attacked the ram and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram out of his hands. Now, the question for us is, well, who is this ram? And thankfully, we're not left guessing with the Bible, as in verse 21 of Daniel chapter 8, it says, And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Now, we know that the first king of the Greek Empire was none other than Alexander the Great. And this is some amazing history that I've had the privilege to just become interested in and and study and look at as well, because Medo-Persia and Greece had an extensive history of conflict. Essentially, you've got Medo-Persia, which conquers most of the, the Middle East and most of the Near East and wants to expand West. And so then you had this era called the Greco-Persian Wars, which is where, you know, the story of 300 and Sparta and, and all of those things come from as Persia is trying to attack Greece. Now, there was a number of attacks against Greece that ultimately, you know, didn't see the downfall of Greece. They were a failure. But what we saw is that Greece was consistently like... Persia always overextended to attack Greece and so never had the power to really pull through. But Greece didn't at the, simultaneously have the power to attack back and invade because at this time, again, Greece is divided into city-states. And what happened post the Greco-Persian Wars is a series of wars called the Peloponnesian Wars or the Peloponnesian Conflict, which was that you had a, a, these two leagues. It was the Delian League, which had the city of Athens and a number of other strong cities. And you had the Peloponnesian League, which had the city of Sparta or the nation of Sparta and another number of other cities. And they went to war against each other. And they were fighting and fighting and fighting. And it ultimately led to Athens, which was this great, amazing city, being occupied by the Spartans. So the Spartans, like it, it finished with, Sparta shows up, takes out the Athenians and has, you know, great occupation in the Greek world at that time, you know, across the, the Aegean Sea and the islands and whatnot. Uh, then there was some conflict that came after that with you had a, a group of people, the, the band of thieves, who were able to to war again. And they were just fighting amongst each other, all this squabbling, until the, there was a king, uh, the king of Macedonia. He was named Philip. And Philip, he had a son named Alexander. And Alexander, he was, he was trained he, and rose up and decided, we are going to unite uh, Greece to ultimately finish off Medo-Persia as, you know, during this Peloponnesian conflict, Medo-Persia is just like hanging out in the, in the Eastern side of the Middle East. And it's like, you know, they, they, they're not making any more advances, but Alexander the Great, he rises up and says, nah, we're going to do this. And as it, as it says here, he rushes with furious power, really over a 10 year stretch, like not only do the Macedonians and, and Alexander the Great uh, being the king of Macedon, not only do the Macedonians unite Greece and make Greece submit to them, but then just start marching and taking Medo-Persian land. You know, kilometer by kilometer, mile by mile, city by city, they just go through and just burn everything down, ultimately. They're just like, they just show up, go to war, 
take a nation and keep going to the point where over a 10-year stretch, they get all the way to the border of India, to the river there. And Alexander the Great's men, they're just like, look, we're not going to go any further. We are not going across this river. We want to go and hang out with our families. You know, I haven't seen my kids in 10 years. Let's go eat. Uh, let's go and, 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 and relax a little bit because we have just single-handedly destroyed the greatest nation on earth. We have destroyed the Medo-Persians. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And Blair, you are going to give us a final clue for the quiz. That's right. And the clue here is two of Paul's epistles are directed to believers in this city. That's really narrowing it down. Two of Paul's epistles that he wrote are addressed to believers in this city. Mm. And if you think you know the name of this city, you can text it into 0491064669. And you can go in the running to win our Revive Cookbook, which has a whole host of fantastic, yummy, plant-based, healthy recipes that you want to get your hands on. Shout out to Sherry for getting the answer correct off of that last one. And we've got lots of love coming in for producer Shell as well. Hey, guys, I fell the other day. Uh, this is someone writing in. Uh, Margie she says, I fell the other day when I stepped over an 18-inch high, high fence into my puppy pen and I couldn't get my boot toe over the top of the wire in the mesh. I went down, so I feel for Shell. And I think that's almost exactly what happened to Shell. Like, she's trying to step over something like that and got her toe caught. Uh, and we have Freco texting in as well. Pray, dear Jesus, please heal, please heal Shell. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lord. So, amen. Amen. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And we are going to have... Not another clue for the quiz because we've done that. We're just going to keep reading the Bible. Amen. Let's do it. Seeing, so, we're in Daniel chapter 8. And we've gotten up to verse 6, 7. So far. And we see that there's this male goat. We're talking a little bit about the history here. Uh, looking how looking how it was that history is perfectly fulfilled. It's phenomenal. Yeah. The, the amount of detail. And it just keeps getting more and more details. you go through the book of Daniel. Mm. It's awesome because we then come to verse 8. And do you want to read that one? Absolutely. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken and in place of it, four notable horns ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. Now, Alexander the Great finds his way over to all the all the way to the border border of India. His soldiers are like, "We're not going to continue." And Alexander's like, "Why not?" And they're like, "We have wives and kids. You know, we want to go back and see them. We've been fighting so long." And <laughs> and so he's like, "Okay." So they start making their way back west. Uh, and Alexander the Great then thinks, okay, well, I'm going to get back to Greece, which is the most Western point of our kingdom. And then I'm going to expand West from there. You know, if the Medo-Persian is going to stop me, oh, there's this Republic of Rome and these other European, they're barbarians, you know, they, they won't be able to stand against me. And so he's on his way back. And now there are a couple conspiracy theories as to, well, just theories as to what took place. And the the commonly accepted theory is that Alexander the Great died of alcoholism. But there are many who, said, who have said that he was poisoned and a few other things. But ultimately... Malaria is another one. Yeah. You know, yeah. But Alexander the Great shockingly dies. Like, on the way back to Greece. He, he just 
really just at is, the peak of their conquering empire. Yeah, he he just falls sick and doesn't get better and and dies. And his four generals, Ptolemy, Seleucus, Lysimachus, and Cassander, take over from him. And what we're reading here in verse 8, it says that there's the large horn, but the large horn was broken. And four horns came up to, towards the four winds of heaven. Now, what Greece had already conquered in that time, which was a huge portion of the world, they then divide that between their four kingdoms between these four generals, and they become the four regions of the kingdom of Greece. You know, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Lucius. And and those four different areas exist for the next couple of hundred years. Now, it says then, we we continue in the prophecy, which, by the way, I just want to highlight again, like, that's amazing how the Bible has been able to symbolically outline what's taking place here. And but then we get to another character, which is That's right. very very familiar. A new st- new 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 um, character on the scene. Yes. And do you want to read for us verse nine? Out of one of them, out of one of the four winds of heaven, uh, came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Mm. And the Bible says, and it grew up to the host of heaven, and and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Okay, so we have this next power rise up, this little horn that grew up uh, out of the, the Greek empire. Now, there are a couple different interpretations as to who this is. The futuristic interpretation would say that this is a the Antichrist power, the same Antichrist power as what is seen in Daniel chapter 7, and we have no idea who this is because the Antichrist is only revealed after the secret rapture. Now, we are not futurists. Uh, we don't believe in the secret rapture. We, you know, we, we don't uh, hold that as a part of our theology. We are historicists. But on the other side of the argument, you see a preterist. And a preter- the preterists strongly stand on the argument that this little horn is none other than the Seleucid, the Seleucid, or, you know, he's part of the kingdom of Seleucius, um, the Seleucid military leader Antiochus Epiphanes, who existed between 216 BC and 164 BC as well. Now, they say this because it's, as you can see here, it's, it says that he uh, cast down the host of heaven and he trampled on its you know, he trampled on them. And Antiochus Epiphanes, during his military leadership, he was, you know, doing a, a number of these things. It's He attacked and defiled the Jewish temple, um, and he was, you know, antagonistic towards Jewish people in his ruling of that area of Seleucid. But I would contend that this can in no way uh, be... At all, absolutely, Antiochus Epiphanes cannot, cannot it, for, it, for it, many, many reasons. For many reasons. Well, the first one is is that okay? So this is a little horn, and they're like, see, see, this is a little horn that is smaller than the other horn. So it makes sense that it's Antiochus Epiphanes because it's it's a smaller leader within the greater leadership of the Greek Empire. But what does it say that this little horn does? It says that uh, this little horn grows exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, 
and towards the glorious land. And that it is more powerful than all of the horns that come before it. And the question is, okay, well, did did this happen to Antiochus Epiphanes? Is no. The answer is resoundingly no. Antiochus Epiphanes is actually, <laughs> as a military leader, is quite sad uh, in his in in terms of his conquests uh, because he was essentially made you know, a, a military leader because of nepotism. He was the son of other notable governors and, and you know, military leaders. And he was defeated and subjugated by uh, essentially Rome uh, under, you know, he is leading on behalf of Greece, but the Republic of Rome fully stood against him and he had no ability to overpower or attack them. His kingdom, the kingdom of Seleucid under, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes rule did not expand. In fact, it it did the opposite. It decreased in size because it was replaced by and it was conquered by the Roman Empire that, that came after, you know, the the it went empirical after its transfer from a republic to an empire. And again, we see it says this little horn, it grows exceedingly great in all of these various areas, and then it tramples down um, the whole host of of heaven. Um, And it even exalts himself as high as the prince of the host. Now, the question is, okay, who is the prince of the host? The prince of the host is Jesus. And we don't see Antiochus Epiphanes acting in this way. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our Bible study, so we're going to have to pick this up tomorrow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. That was Zach Williams with Face to Face. And we are quickly coming to the end of the show, but we've got to do a couple things first. You've got to tell us, who's the answer here? All right, here we go. The answer is Thessalonica. Thessalonica, none other. Now, of course, Paul would write two letters to the Thessalonians, and there would be yeah a number of controversies that would happen in Thessalonica during the Book of Acts, and you know being run out of town, and and you know being beaten, and all all these kinds of things. But it was a city that was consistently ministered to, and became a, a hub of 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 Christianity in the ancient world. You know, it became a place where where people were Christians. Unfortunately, they weren't as faithful as the Bereans who searched the scriptures. But um we would get two amazing books out of it. First and Second Thessalonians are some of my favorite of Paul's writings, totally. Paul's epistles. Really powerful because Paul in those books, he kind of he starts getting into prophecy, actually, and expounding on how the second coming would take place, you know, how it is. I love that passage, First Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says, you know, the, the, the living will by no means precede the dead, for the dead in Christ will rise first, and then the living will be caught up together with them. And, you know, powerful, Second powerful coming passages. tells us so much about, you know, the, the state of the dead. and Oh, it's beautiful. State of the dead, the Antichrist even. Totally. It's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful book. And yeah, it would be a place where people are, were menacing in a city that exists even to this day, Thessalonica. Now, as well, we've got some text messages here. I've got a text from Bruce and Liz. They write, 
Pray for Shell for a speedy recovery. Appreciate your work on Faith FM. Also, thank you, Mon, for being able to step in at such short notice to the various roles you've taken on the breakfast program. So we've got some Monica love as well uh, on the text line as she's doing a fantastic job, you know, pushing those buttons, getting those songs in. Um, just, you know, but unfortunately, what I know for a fact is that this show is going to end and I'm going to have to edit it. Because Mon Mon has got to well and truly take off, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get that editing done. But that's okay. It's all it's all part of the the the, the gig. Uh, we also have Franco text in. He says, "Why don't you guys pray on air uh, with everyone at the start of the show and the beginning of the Bible reading? Well, before the show goes on, every single morning we pray that God would lead us and guide us and bless us. But if you'd like to hear us pray on the show, we would love to do shit. So we're, we're always praying for our listeners. We're always praying for the show. We're always praying that we can share Jesus with people. And Freco, we thank you because we know that you're probably praying for us. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Prayer is needed and it's fantastic and it's awesome. And, and we are so grateful uh, that that we have a listener base who is, is wanting us to pray. Absolutely. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting in the context of Australia that we live in and how the idea of prayer is actually continually being attacked that we could have people who are like, yes, pray for us. Yeah, it's in, like a rebellion culture. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the, 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 the counterculture to pray, right? Uh, as we have some areas of Australia where if you pray, you can go to jail. I saw I saw this funny meme of like um, a rebellion culture in the seventies. It was like a pink haired punk rocker type person, mm-hmm. and then rebellion culture today. And it was like a, a husband and a wife with their child and a family walking together and <laughs> just Dude. being a family. Oh, I got to tell a story right now that, that that happened to me really recently. So I was up in Byron Bay and I was wearing a Faith FM T shirt. Like with Faith of M plastered across the front and the back and some baggy pants and, you know, some, I was wearing some like baggy jeans and some shoes and I'm walking along the beach there, like not on the beach, but along the beach, I was walking up to my accommodation and I had this guy walk up to me. He was a, he was a father and uh, he was at the playground with his, with his daughter. But then he, he comes up to me and he says, Hey, are you selling? And I'm like, selling what? He's like, Oh, like like marijuana or do you know somewhere I can buy some weed? And I, You've got that look. Hey, and, and I was like, I was shocked. I was like, what? And, and I'm like, no man, I don't smoke. And the guy looks at me and he's like, you don't smoke because I'm, I'm a young person at Byron Bay. Okay. Young people in Byron Bay. There's a bit of a culture there. And he's like, you don't smoke. And I'm like, yeah, dude, like really, I don't smoke. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't drink. Da, 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 da. And he's, he's just stood there a bit confused. And he's like, oh, uh, okay, all right, have a nice day then. And then, uh, you know, I just kept walking. But I'm like, am I countercultural <laughs> in Byron Bay? That's hilarious. Being a young person who doesn't sell or take drugs. It was it was a really, really Amen. interesting Amen. interaction. But praise God that we, we can know Jesus and, and uh, it, he is working to make our lives better. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM. You are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, and we have come to the end of our program this morning. Oh, so sad. Yeah, well and truly, we've been hanging out with us this morning, Blair. We've been getting it done. Also, we've been, we've been remembering the, the, pre, uh, the pain of Producer Shell as well, keeping that in our thoughts and in our hearts and in our minds and in our prayers as well. But 
as always, we come to this time and we get to give away something for free. And I have a book that I want to give away. It's called... What do you got for us? It's called The Bloody Woman and the Seven-Headed Beast. Oh, yeah. Revelation. By, by Stephen Wahlberg. This is a basically a study through what is taking place in Revelation 17 through 19. And, yeah, what what these symbols represent. We're, we've been looking at Daniel 8. And thankfully, the Bible makes it quite easy for us as it just tells us, okay, that's just who, exactly who it is. But there are times where it gives us enough indicating markers to be able to, to work out who it is. And that's exactly what's happening in these chapters of Scripture. So you definitely want this book to be able to help you to decode what's taking place within scripture 0491-064-669 is the number to call a text and we'll give you that absolutely for free now what are you going to get up to today blair oh i'm heading back to do some more study for an exam on thursday oh yeah amazing i am going to jump in my car drive down to avondale and and chip away at those two two thousand word good luck with that uh, my friend. essays that i have and to i'll get see done. you on the weekend at uh, Arise. yeah i'll try to get up there we'll see how it goes but hey guys remember to just be calling out to jesus today trying to connect with him and remember as you go through this day also to talk faith to live faith and to act faith and you will grow strong in jesus christ Thank you.